Welcome to Australian Hiker. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 19 of the Australian Hiker podcast. In this week's episode, we're going to be talking about the sleep system, how to have a good night's sleep when you're out hiking or camping. Now, a good night's sleep is not just about having a good sleeping bag, but rather having a good sleep system. And choosing the correct sleep system can be confusing at times. Uh, And if we want to have a warm, comfortable night's sleep night after night, we need to make sure we choose the correct system. Choose the wrong system and will be miserable at best and at worst it may be dangerous depending on the conditions. This episode will look at each of the three components of the sleep system, the sleeping bag, the sleeping pad and clothing that you wear when you go to sleep and the role they play. All right. The first thing we're going to look at through today is sleeping bags. And normally when you talk about going camping or going hiking, the sleeping bag forms one of our big three, along with the tent and the pack. They're our biggest individual pieces of uh, gear that tends to have the biggest impact on our weight. Now, having a good sleeping bag is critical to having a good night's sleep. But as I mentioned in the introduction, it's not the only thing that's going to go through and help The problem with choosing a sleeping bag is the huge range of choice that we have available in the Australian and the world market. There are literally hundreds of bags available uh, in the retail stores and online, and there are a number of factors we need to consider to try and help us make a decision about what we need to choose. So in choosing a sleeping bag, we need to consider the temperature range we're going to be using it at, uh, the weight, uh, do we want a light and compact bag, or does it really matter if we have a heavy bag? and your budget. And here, you, here, the thing I can really say up front is buy the best bag that you can afford, but there obviously is going to be a limit to what you want to spend. With sleeping bags, the thing you want to think about is, do we just want to have one bag that does it all? Or do we choose horses for courses and on a number of bags that we can select to, to suit the particular trip that you, we are planning? When considering temperature range, the first thing to do, think about when choosing a sleeping bag is what temperature are you going to be using the bag at. If you have decided to buy one bag to meet all your hiking and camping needs, you are going to have to make a compromise. Uh, you're either going to have to buy a bag that's too warm or not warm enough. You're going to have to buy a bag that has a particular weight uh, or has a particular budget. And if you're going to go through and make compromises, you want to err on the side of safety, which means you're better off having a bag that's slightly too warm or too warm to cater for those conditions, the coldest conditions that you're going to be hiking in. And part of this is the need to understand, you know, if you do it in a um, a sleep cool, sleep medium, sleep warm kind of context, where you fit on that spectrum. Um, sometimes we're not aware that uh, we do huddle down into the the doona when we're at home, 
um, or we throw the sheets off. So really have a think about the type of sleep pattern you have uh, as a start point because that will be important to positioning you in the whole range of uh, sleeping bag options that are available. Now, one helpful piece of information that um, is available these days in choosing the right temperature sleeping bag is the European rating, which is the EN13537 rating system. Now, this European standard is accepted worldwide and it's helped to standardise the temperature ratings on sleeping bags manufactured or sold in Europe. And this means that certainly the big manufacturers that are present worldwide will use this rating. Now, this standard will help you to directly compare one sleeping bag to another, regardless of what the manufacturer chooses to call it. And one of the issues, particularly in America, is that you'll often get bags labelled as a zero-degree sleeping bag, but it may not be suitable for that sort of temperature. It just happens to be a name that's on there. The EN system uses standardised temperature tests uh, and a thermal mannequin with heaters, uh, and it goes through and provides measures insulation that a particular sleeping bag has. The mannequin is wearing a single layer of long underwear uh, and is placed inside a sleeping bag on an insulating pad typical of that, what you use when, uh, when you're camping. And we'll talk about sleeping pads in a few minutes. The test is conducted in a temperature controlled chamber and a range of comfort temperatures are derived from measuring the energy required to maintain a stable temperature. And there are four figures that you end up getting from these tests. Now, typically the sleeping bag manufacturers will only ever put three of these temperatures on there. Now, the four limits or the four figures that you come up with is the upper limit. Uh, and this is the one that's usually not seen. And this is the temperature at which a standard man can sleep without excessive perspiration. Uh, and really, when you think about sleeping bags, if you're gonna get too hot, you're just going to unzip the bag or throw it off or sleep out on top of the bag. So um, unless you're camping in excessively hot areas all the time, this is probably not a figure that you really need to know. The second figure, which is one that uh, is always on sleeping bags in Australia, is the comfort level. Uh, and this temperature is, which, is the figure at which a standard woman can expect to sleep comfortably in a relaxed position. Um, or if you're a male and you're a cold sleeper, this is the rating you, you want to use to decide the coldest temperature the bag is suitable for you at. The next figure is the lower limit. And this is the temperature at which a standard man can sleep for eight hours in a curled position without waking. Now, if you're a warm sleeper, you can use this rating to decide the coldest temperature that the bag is going to, is going to suit you as an individual. And the third and final figure is the extreme rating. And this is the survival only rating for a standard woman. And between the lower limit and the extreme rating, you're gonna get a strong sensation of cold and there is a risk of health damage due to hypothermia or possibly frostbite. So this is a survival only rating and not meant for regular use. And I give an example here um, of a, uh, a Cedar Summit Micro MC2 sleeping bag. The comfort level is seven degrees, the lower limit is two degrees Celsius, and the extreme level is minus 13 degrees Celsius. So that gives you an idea of the figures that are present on just about all bags sold in Australia. 
I'm just wondering what a standard woman is. Because <laughs> I have to say that throughout my life there have been times when I have been really, really, really uh, cool. So, um, you know, probably decades uh, where I needed to put many more clothes on. Um, probably some period of time as I get older I don't need quite as much clothing Um, and I think you know while a standard woman is a an interesting concept it probably doesn't help very much Um, I do think that these things are guides Uh, you do need to test it out for you and while we're trying to come up with a measure which is comparing apples with oranges the other factor in there is you and uh, how you uh, cope with the cold, cope with the the warmth, uh, your cycle of uh, temperature change during the night and so on. So, you know, there is a bit of an experiment going on here. Um, And while these uh, ratings and these figures might give you a bit of a guide, um, you also need to test some things out for yourself. I must agree on that one. I mean, my sleeping bag, which I've, I'm currently using, is rated as a um, a lower limit of minus six degrees. Uh, and for me, uh, minus six, I'm very comfortable. I don't have many clothes on, um, and I usually don't have the bag fully zipped up. So I tend to be a very warm sleeper, uh, and that's uh, that bag is actually excessive for me. So um, I can get away with a, a much lighter bag compared to Jill, who uses um, a minus 11 sleeping bag. <laughs> and, and I also have um, low blood, blood pressure or blood pressure tends to be on the, the low side, um, which again is another contributing factor about um, the level of warmth I need when I'm completely rested and not moving. Okay, so as Jill said, you do need to consider whether you are a warm sleeper or a cold sleeper. And really, this is going to be something that's very much personal to to you as an individual. Now, once you've decided on the temperature range, the next choice is the type of insulation that you want the bag to have. And currently, you've got two main choices of insulation material, uh, that being down and synthetic. Down is mainly derived from ducks or geese with geese usually providing the better quality, although geese down is becoming much harder to source. And the second option is synthetic manufactured material. And certainly there have been a lot of improvements in this in past years. Both insulation materials have their advantages and disadvantages, and we're going to look at these now to see which is the best one for your circumstances. Down sleeping bags. Their advantages for down bags are they're lightweight, They're easy to compress to a smaller size and they excel in cold, dry conditions. And if you look after them, they'll have much longer lifespan. Um, I had a down bag which I bought when I was, or my parents bought for me when I was 15. uh, (laughs) And and I only got rid of that bag uh, around about 15 years ago. So, um, you know, that was about 25 years wasn't a particularly warm bag. It was a it was a very high quality bag at the time, but certainly I think it had thinned down by that that point. Now the disadvantages with uh, down bags is they're expensive. So when compared to a comparable synthetic bag, that can be about twice as expensive for the same warmth. They're slow to dry when they're wet, 
They don't perform well in conditions when the bag is always going to be wet and don't have a chance to dry out. So really, down bags are useful for times when you want lightweight, um, a, a lightweight bag that doesn't take up much space and you know you can keep it dry or you can dry it out during the daytime. So as an example here, long distance through hikers or a lot of experienced hikers tend to use down bags. Now, when we're thinking about down bags, you'll often see descriptors associated with down such as loft or fill power. And this describes the quality of the down material. The same weight of a higher loft uh, will fill a larger area than a lower loft quality. So the higher the loft, the warmer, lighter, and usually more expensive the bag's gonna be. The best quality bags have 850 plus loft, and this will be reflected in the price. Cheaper down bags with a, uh, will have a lower loft figure. Uh, and the, So essentially the higher the loft number combined with the amount of down will provide a warmer and more expensive bag. Many bags contain down that is treated so that it's water repellent. And the word here, the key word here is repellent rather than waterproof. So if you drop your sleeping bag in the water, then this is a real issue with a down bag. It's going to take, not going to provide much warmth until it dries out. So down bags are excellent when you know they can maintain a dry bag and want to minimise the bag's size and weight. So in other words, long distance through hiking. And you'll find that many hikers, many experienced hikers, tend to use down bags. The second type of bag or insulation is synthetic. Now, this is an artificially manufactured material. Uh, and there's a number of different types of synthetic uh, insulation on the market. Uh, and while most keen hikers will use the, uh, the down bags, synthetics do have their place. They're quick drying. They insulate to a great degree when they're wet. They're non-allergenic and they're less expensive. The disadvantages tend to be they're heavier and bulkier when compared to the same rated down bag. And they should have a shorter lifespan. So synthetic bags are a good choice when you're car camping and don't have to worry about the weight of the bag. And when the conditions are very wet, or you know you're not going to be able to dry the bag out, uh, and you know you're going into a period of, of wet, uh, and down bags that just aren't going to keep you warm. So now we've told you all about loft, and we've told, told you about uh, down bags and synthetic sleeping bags, um, and the ratings. Uh, no, no wonder you're confused as you go into a, a store to get that special uh, sleeping bag. We're now going to add another layer of confusion for you uh, in terms of the size and the shape of the bag. Okay, so you've gone through and looked at the temperature rating. You've gone through and looked at uh, down or synthetic. Now you're presented, as Jill said, with, with shape and, and size. So three main choices with uh, shape of sleeping bags are rectangular uh, and they provide lots of space, but they're usually bulkier and heavier. And as the name suggests, they're rectangular in shape. At the other end of the scale is the mummy bags and they tend to be form fitting. So there's minimal space, which may be uncomfortable for individuals or for larger people, but they're often warmer due to the limited airflow. I think they're also uncomfortable for people who move around a bit and feel a bit constricted in a sleeping bag. <laughs> they are, and this is a consideration. So certainly if you're going to be going through and buying a mummy bag, 
Um, it's worthwhile actually getting into the bag in the store, and the stores will normally be quite happy with that, uh, because if it doesn't fit, it's not going to help you particularly well. Uh, I must admit, for um, I've just bought my first mummy bag just recently, uh, and it did surprise me. It's uh, it had enough room for me, and I definitely noticed an increase in the uh, the warmth factor just because of the, the amount of uh, the smaller amount of air that was flowing in and around the bag. Third type of bag, and probably one of the most common ones used on the market, is a tapered rectangular bag. And this tends to be a combination of the mummy and the rectangular bags. They're not as form-fitting as the mummy bags, but they're not as, uh, as, as spacious as the full rectangular size. Uh, and this tends to be a very common sort of size. Most tiebackers will often choose a mummy style or a tapered rectangular bag, and this really does depend on personal preferences. Jill also mentioned length. Uh, most standard sleeping bags tend to suit an average person, which the uh, industry tends to consider someone up to around about 185 centimetres in height, uh, or approximately around about um, six foot, six foot one in height. Now I'm 188 or 189 centimetres in height, and I find that these bags are just a bit too restrictive, so I always tend to opt for a longer bag. But that does limit my choice because not all manufacturers produce long bags. Having said that, I also have, uh, if you've seen photos on the website, I don't have much hair, if, if any, for the sake of it. So I always tend to buy a bag with a hood because the head area is one of the biggest areas of heat loss and makes a big difference. Now, the other, other thing to consider is the zip. Now, a lot of bags will have full-length zips that allow the bag to open out into a quilt, and that's certainly my personal preference in the bag. And one of the advantages with the full-length zips, if you buy the same brand, you most, in most cases you can actually zip them together and form a, a double bag. Now, even though our two bags are able to do that, I must admit in the few years that we've had them, we've never actually done it. So it's a, it's a bit of a wasted, uh, uh, wasted feature on these bags. The other option is a three-quarter zip, which leaves the bottom of the bag closed, and this minimizes the weight and maximizes the warmth. Uh, but as I said, I prefer to have something that folds out to open, because it is very rare that I'll be fully uh, cinched up and, and, and hooded up and, and, and snuggled up into a sleeping bag. I've normally always got either my arms out or the bag open to some extent. While a good sleeping bag is essential, this must be paired with a sleeping pad of some type. And sleeping pads insulate the user from the ground, which is where you lose most of your heat. So if you take your sleeping bag and just lie on the, the bare soil or the grass, you are going to lose a lot of heat through, the, uh, through your contact with the ground. Now sleeping pads are rated using an R value, just like uh, house insulation. And as an example, an R value of 2 will reduce the heat loss twice as well as an R value of 1. An R value of 3 will reduce heat loss three times better than an R value of 1. So again, when you go to buy a sleeping pad in a, in a camping store, uh, the R values are probably one of the biggest reflectors on how well they're going to actually perform, at least as far as heat retention. And they have other benefits as well. So a good quality sleeping pad will have a big impact on the comfort and warmth, particularly in colder conditions. Um, so sleeping bags come in three main types. The foam pads, uh, and this is um, one thing that... Um, um, the foam pads, 
and this is probably one of the original sleeping uh, sleeping pads that was used. Piece of uh, foam. Uh, think if you think of something like a yoga mat, a thick yoga mat is probably a good example. Um, and they keep you insulated, but not particularly well. They keep you from the pointy, sharp rocks, so they provide a bit of protection there. Uh, and they will actually help you if you sleep on your back. But if you're a side sleeper, they don't work particularly well. The sleeping, the foam pads certainly are still used quite widely. And probably one of the best examples of the, the, the foam style pads these days is the Thermarest Z-Lite Sole. And this is one of the pads that a lot of the American thru-hikers will use when they're hiking the Pacific Crest Trail and the Appalachian Trail. It's a durable bag, a pad. Um, it's, uh, it's robust. Um, it's going to last and last. Um, but it is bulky. Um, and it's relatively lightweight. But it's, um, it's certainly, again, suitable for if you sleep on your back, but not particularly helpful if you sleep on your side. The second type of sleeping pad is the self-inflating pad. Uh, and these are the, the next step on from the foam pads. They consist of a, a membrane with a foam core that when you open the valve, uh, air, the, the foam expands um, and, allows the, um, uh, and allows it to provide a bit of, um, bit of comfort and um, a bit of um, protection from the ground. They're heavier than the other two types of pads we're going to discuss here. And a good example of this is the Thermarest ProLite pad. And this was one that I used for a number of years after I graduated from a foam pad. The third and last type of sleeping pad is the inflatable pad. And I'm not talking about Lilo's here. These, <laughs> these pads are very high tech and went out in the areas of warmth, comfort and weight. Uh, and an example through here, I, I had a, um, uh, a rock climbing accident a few years ago. Uh, I've got shoulder injuries as a result. Um, so I tend to sleep on my back. I tend to sleep on my left side. I tend to sleep on my right side. So I'll shift all through the night in those three positions. And partly the issue is on a, on a hard pad, a foam pad or a, um, the, the self-inflating pads, I just don't get enough comfort for my shoulders. So I find from a comfort point of view that the uh, inflating pads make a huge difference. Uh, I, I'm quite comfortable in sleeping on a, an inflating pad uh, as I am in sleeping in my own bed. Now, the one drawback tends to be with durability. Um, the very lightweight sleeping pads that you tend to use for hiking uh, will last for long periods if you care for them. Um, and... Um, uh, they, they can be prone if you're camping on or sleeping on very sharp rocks. So when we did our Larapinta trail trip last year, um, I had a very, very tiny hole develop in the pad, which meant that uh, over a period of about seven hours it deflated. Now that was fine. If, you know, it normally meant if I was going to sleep at 10 o'clock and waking up at 5, that'd be fine. But if I was having a longer night's sleep, I'd have to get up and inflate the pad or put a bit of air into the pad during the night time. And likewise with my pad, um, I do have a currently have a small uh, leak um, that does take some time to um, deflate the mat. The problem is, though, that what happens is when I turn over on my side, um, uh, maybe this is a 
feature of women or something I don't know um, but my hips tend to then force the air out so my hips are actually now on the ground so even a really small um, leak in my pad actually forces the end the air to the ends of the pad um, which means it's problematic when I'm sleeping not as comfortable and I'm, I really must fix that leak <laughs> The other issue with that as well, it means that your hips are, in Jill's case, her hips are closer to the ground, so she's getting less insulation. Um, so, I mean, it's not a major drawback. Um, you know, if you are sleeping on rough ground, you need to put some sort of ground sheet down. Um, and again, from both our perspectives, we just haven't gotten around to fixing them, but quite happy using them. The Thermarest as a company used to own this category, uh, but now other companies like Cedar Summit, Exped and Climate are all readily available in Australia, along with a number of overseas brands that are probably a bit harder to source. But still a popular example and probably one of the uh, the, the most well-known in this category is the Thermarest NeoAir X-Lite. It's not a cheap pad and we've gone through and done a review on that. So if you want to go through and have a look on the website, you can have a look in more detail. It's approximately $385. Uh, but from my perspective, it was probably one of the the, the best purchases I've ever made, um, as I said, because it's so much more comfortable. Uh, it packs down to not much bigger than a, uh, a one litre water bottle. Uh, and, um, and again, not that, from, that I need it, but certainly I did notice an increase in the warmth. Now, the last factor to consider as part of your sleep system is clothing. The amount of clothing you wear will often be based on your own personal tolerances to the cold, which is what we discussed earlier on in this uh, in this uh, episode. The more clothing you wear to bed, the greater the impact on this warmth that you're going to have. Uh, but having said that, you don't want to sweat in your sleeping bag. If you are so warm that you're sweating, your clothes are going to get wet, your sleeping bag is going to get wet, um, and that means when it comes time to wearing your sleeping clothes and your sleeping uh, uh, bag the next night um, if it hasn't dried out it's going to reduce your warmth and this can compound over a period of days so as i said i have a very high threshold to cold and very very and wear very little to bed which may be an overshare yes um, <laughs> but if you have a cheaper bag then you may need to wear, wear more clothing and the other thing to consider is where you're actually camping. So sometimes I actually wear a little bit more to uh, bed. Um, if uh, we're in an environment where there are more people around or it's slightly cooler at night and I might need to go for a short walk in the middle of the night, um, if it's warmer and if there are not so many people around, then I might wear a little bit less to bed so you know that's important too which means that there are a whole bunch of different factors you need to consider when you're choosing the right combination of all of these things for you and I must agree I, I tend to work on the same way that if I know I've got to get out and go to the go to the bathroom in the middle of the night which you know if I'm sleeping for seven or eight hours I certainly do uh, then I will sort of factor that in and make sure that whatever I'm wearing uh, in my sleeping bag is what I can also wear outside as well. That's so you don't overshare too much with everybody else as well. <laughs> I think so. Now, 
What all this means is that when you go and buy a new sleeping bag or a new sleeping pad, you don't just want to consider a single piece of equipment. Talk to the camping stores, use their expertise, use their advice, and try and build a system. And this may mean that you, um, probably the best thing to do here is if you have the, the option and you have some friends, is to borrow, them, borrow some of the gear that you th might be thinking of buying. As I said, um, my uh, Thermarest uh, X-Lite, uh, Neo Air X-Lite, um, I can't recommend it highly enough. Again, apart from a durability issue and having to repick, uh, fix a small leak, uh, I think it's, for me, is a very good quality uh, pad. Um, I just can't use the foam pads or the self-inflating pads because of my shoulder injuries. Uh, and again, it's uh, very lightweight uh, pads. So um, it's one of those sort of things, if you have the option of trying things out before you buy, uh, it'll certainly help you to, to maximize the benefit you're going to get. And just on that, my Neo Air X-Lite, sometimes I feel as if I'm falling off it um, and it goes sideways in the middle of the night. Um, whereas um, the self-inflating uh, pad that I have, I really do feel much more stable and much more positioned um, for the whole night. But I certainly notice it's not as warm underneath um, as the Neo Air, Neo Air X-Lite. So it's, it's a bit about working out what's going to work for you. Okay, we've talked about a sleep system as far as needing, uh, needing a good sleep system to help you get a, a good night's sleep over a period of time. But certainly there are other physiological factors uh, that will help improve your, your sleep at night when you're camping. And we'll discuss those in future episodes. As always, this episode is available to download through our website at www.australianhiker.com.au, through iTunes and Stitcher Radio, uh, if you search for Australian Hiker Podcast, and you can also download through and listen through SoundCloud as well. Next week's episode will be part two of our Overland Track uh, series. Uh, in this case, we'll be going through and doing a day on the Overland Track, uh, giving you an idea of what a typical day on the trail is like. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. That's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me.